Welcome to the Manifestation Bay podcast. My name is Katherine Zinkina, and I'm a manifestation expert, master mindset coach, and multiple seven-figure entrepreneur. I'm obsessed with helping you achieve everything that you once thought was impossible. If you're looking to massively up-level your life, your finances, your relationships, your productivity and success, then you have come to the right place. My goal in this podcast is to help you see the infinite potential within yourself to be, do, and have anything that your heart desires. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of mindset development to help you maximize who you are and where you're going. Leave it to me to provide you with the tools, the resources, the strategies, and teachings that you need to manifest a reality wilder than your wildest dreams. I know we're about to have so much fun together, so thank you so much for pushing play today, and now let's begin. If you've been wanting to master the art of manifesting money and cultivate a lighter, more enjoyable, more feminine, and dare I say, pleasurable approach to creating more money in your life, look no further because Sovereign Money is about to relaunch in just a couple of days. In fact, it opens up on Monday, May 20th, which is literally just around the corner. And this launch, I am doing something that I've never done before for everyone who gets on the wait list. I am giving you $100 off of your enrollment into Sovereign Money, and I'm opening the doors one day early with that $100 off special. This is only available to those who get on the waitlist before Sunday the 19th, and it will expire once we launch to the public on May 20th. Don't wait. You can get on the waitlist right now by going to manifestationbabe.com slash SM. That's S as in sovereign, M as in money. Again, that's manifestationbabe.com slash SM for that $100 off of your enrollment into sovereign money. Hello, my gorgeous souls, and welcome back to the Manifestation Bay podcast. We are just about to enter into the new year of 2021. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I know that, you know, we're still in some interesting times here at the end of 2020. We thought it would be over by now. It clearly is not over. It clearly is far from over, but I am still excited about 2021 and especially this upcoming new year because, you guys, we get to choose. We get to choose the ultimate outcome. We get to choose who we become. We get to make the most of our circumstances and make this new year worthwhile. Really sit down and set your goals and really sit down and figure out what you're going to leave behind in 2020. There's a lot I know there's a lot that a lot of us (laughs) are leaving behind in 2020, and we can still make the best of this new year. And I have high hopes, and I've been praying, and I've been meditating, and I've been visualizing, and I've been setting intentions for the highest good to come out of 2021. So I can feel it deep in my bones that it's going to be a better year, and I'm so excited about it. So who better in this episode to guide you into embodying your life purpose in 2021 than my podcast guest today? I am really excited to bring to you this conversation that I had with the amazing Sahara Rose all about discovering your dharma, aka your life purpose, aka the buzzword of the freaking century, let me tell you. The amount of times I've seen the question, what is my life purpose, (laughs) pop up in the spiritual community, like I already know this episode is going going to take off because so many of you guys have that question and Sahara shows you that it really is simple. It's not that complicated of a process in order you to figure out what your life purpose is or Dharma as she calls it. I just recently finished reading Sahara's new book coming out on January 5th, 2021. And oh my God, it is amazing. I wish I had it back when I started my journey in 2015 of trying to figure out what my life purpose is. But even now living my dharma, this book has still been such a relevant guide for me in my life. So you guys are going to love this conversation and I could literally talk to Sahara for hours. So if you don't know who Sahara is, Sahara Rose is an ancient soul in a modern body. She has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift by Deepak Chopra, amazing, who wrote the foreword of her books, also amazing. She is the best-selling author of Eat, Feel Fresh, 
Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, A Yogic Path, and the upcoming Discover Your Dharma book. She also hosts the Highest Self podcast, which I got to show up on. I don't know when that episode is releasing. Um, I don't care. I just got really excited to have the honor of being on it because I love that podcast. It is also the number one spirituality podcast on iTunes. And she's also the founder of Rose Gold Goddesses. She's here to remind you of your purpose so that you can embody your sacred mission on this planet. Discover your Dharma archetype with her free quiz at IamSahararose.com and connect with her at I am Sahara Rose. Guys, her book is releasing in early January, very, very soon after I release this podcast episode. So you can get her book at IamSaharaRose.com slash Dharma. Go ahead and pre-order it because she has a lot of awesome pre-order bonuses that you get. I believe you get like a whole 10-day course and you get a lot of other goodies um, just for ordering her book and then coming back to her website and uh, submitting your receipt and you get all these awesome bonuses. So again, it's IamSaharaRose.com slash Dharma. And uh, don't take this lightly and I don't take this slightly when I recommend things, guys. This book is awesome. Okay. Now that I've shared a bit about Sahara, let her blow you away in this episode. Hello, Sahara. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here today, Catherine. I'm doing well. I know. I swear this podcast episode was supposed to happen two years ago, if I remember correctly. Like we just kept scheduling it and then something would happen on your end, something would happen on my end. But I think it's such perfect timing that we're here now source divinely inspired this episode. So I'm so grateful to you being here. I am so excited to really dive into, first of all, your book, because I just finished reading it. I know it's coming out soon, right? People can pre-order it. January Um, 5th. Yeah. January 5th. Oh my God, you guys, this book is incredible. I am obsessed with it. I wish I had it when I was first starting my journey, but I'm also really grateful as well that I was able to find it and discover it now because I feel like I'm going through this wave of like, you know how you discuss like the process of finding your dharma and how we have different mediums of getting there. I feel like I'm transitioning into other mediums and it's like really scary. And I feel like I'm going through these waves all over again. So I'm really excited to dive into this episode. Um, But before we get in, can you just kind of um, share, first of all, what the hell is dharma? And second of all, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah. So the word Dharma is your soul's purpose. It is the big reason why you are here. It's the unique energy in which you bring to everything. So it's not so much about what you do, but it's more how you do it. It's like your magic sauce. It's your frequency. It's the special spark that only you can bring. So thinking of it like a company's mission statement, like we stand for a more just world or to be a bridge between two cultures or to create beauty or to connect women to their hearts, something more an umbrella statement like that could be your dharma, whereas the services underneath the company could be careers, roles, jobs, projects, all of these types of things. So for example, you as Catherine, your dharma, you know, you're here to show people that their wildest dreams are possible and that they are worthy of it and that they can create their reality and be the magicians of their own lives. You know, in my own words, how I'm seeing how I'm yeah. seeing you and, and so much more. So now that can be through you know, your courses, your podcast, your books. It could be specifically talking about money or manifesting other things, you know, sharing your story, which I know you're doing more of and bringing yourself. Like these are all different now manifestations of that one far arching Dharma. So I think a lot of people get stuck of like, what's my purpose? I need to find it. Where's yeah. that bitch? Like, you know, or like looking out there for something. And it's like, no, it's not outside of you. It's already within you. And I used to be complete. I would literally meet people and like, Hey, do you think you know what my purpose is? Like, because I didn't know. I thought maybe someone else did. And it's about, you know, I think of your purpose as like you and your naked body. And then you go through life and someone's like, hey, you shouldn't be like that. And that's like you put on a hat and someone's like, you know, that's not really going to make money. And you put on this jacket and someone's like, you know, your parents wouldn't approve of that. You put on these socks and you keep putting on these layers and layers and layers and layers. And you think that's your body, but it's all of these beliefs and conditionings and societal judgments that you've held onto that you think are yours. So it's not about finding your dharma, but it's about remembering it, stripping yourself from all of these veils and limiting beliefs and deconditioning, unraveling to finally remember the truth of is who you are. Mm, I really love that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, like, what is my purpose? Do you know my purpose? Because I'll never forget. I remember 
when I was transitioning between my first business and Manifestation Babe, which was really just an accidental business. I never thought that this would be an actual business. It's, it's just so bizarre and so wild. And I remember how you mentioned in your book, like that accidental dharma. That is what I think Manifestation Babe is. Um, I remember messaging people literally being like, I, don't, I can't find my life purpose. What is my life purpose? And now I laugh because that is the number one question that I get. Like when I did the Q&A box for this episode, it was like, everyone's like, what is my life purpose? How do I know I'm living it? What is my life purpose? Life purpose is such a big hot topic right now. And I love to describe to people like your life purpose is really who you are here to be, not so much what you are doing. Because when you understand that you are here to be the highest expression of yourself and that can unfold in limitless ways, then you are free to do anything. So if you want to be a mom and you become a mother, you could be living your dharma through that. And then you're ready to start a business and you can still be living your dharma through that. And then you're ready for the next thing. And and I tell people all the time when I wanted to, or thought I wanted to become a doctor, I was convinced I was living my life purpose. I was like, my purpose is to help people, right? And then when I transitioned to my fitness business, I was like, oh my God, no, this is my life purpose. But again, underneath that, it's helping people. And then with Manifestation Babe, I'm like, no, this is my life purpose. Well, I'm still helping people. I'm still uh, raising the vibration of the planet. And then when I am now thinking of transitioning into this new chapter called motherhood next year, it's like, I know that I'm still going to be living my purpose. It's just going to look so differently for people. My question for you is why do people put so much pressure on themselves to find out what their life purpose is? Like, why do you think this is such a hot topic right now? Because it just like, I remember even five to 10 five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, like no one, no one talked about this kind of stuff, but all of a sudden everyone wants to know what is the sole reason why I'm here? Someone please tell me. Mm, So it's been a question that we've been asking since the beginning of humanity. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you're being dropped off at a party and you're just like, instead of asking why you're here, you're just like eating the food and dancing. Like eventually you're gonna be like, wait, why was I dropped off at this party? So it's something that's so essential. Like, why are we here? And it's something that humans have always sat with, but when we don't get the answer, the question feels so colossal that we stop asking. Mm. And we're going to go through life continually trying to fill this void of not knowing, numbing ourselves. And numbing can look like so many different ways from, you know, more shadowy aspects of drinking or addictive shopping to even like, I got to do all the self-care and all of the this and that. It's still another form of numbing Mm. when we don't know the truth of it is why we're here. And I remember before I knew my purpose and, you know, I would listen to these interviews of like famous people and they're like, your purpose is to just be. I'm like, easy for you to say. Like you have this huge <laughs> business and purpose and voice and like and all the money to just sit there. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, well, you're clearly doing something that's in alignment with your purpose. So how yeah. do I find that thing? And it became this obsession for me to learn about, especially because similarly to you, I grew up, I just want to help people. And I would look around and like, okay, how do I help people? Mother Teresa helps people. She's a nun. Okay, I should become a nun. Gandhi helps people. He does a hunger fast. I should do that. I would just look for the most extreme forms of helping people and thinking that if I sacrifice my joy, then I can really be of service. Mm -hmm. So I would literally look at what are the worst problems in humanity you know, child trafficking, child labor, all of these different things. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go fix that. So that's what I did. And my my mother was a refugee. My dad was an immigrant. I came from a lineage of child marriage. My uncles were political prisoners. And I didn't even know that was my background. My parents never told me because they wanted to keep me safe. But something within me was going to those exact, like really dense issues of the world. I went to college in DC studying to become an international human rights lawyer and thinking, this is my path. Then it was when I was working in different NGOs that I I couldn't stand it. Like I was just waiting for the day to be over. I felt like I wasn't using my creativity, my communication, like these things that I was naturally good at. And I also felt like I wasn't really making a difference. Like I was just, you know, raising money for the next fundraiser and then all of the money would be spent on the fundraiser after that. I'm like, how is this even really helping people? Mm. So I was really stuck on like, what is my purpose going to be? I thought my whole life it was going to be this thing, like for you being a doctor and now it's gone. So for (laughs) me, it manifested as source redirected me from health issues. I went through really bad health issues, my body going to perimenopause when I was 21 years old. And from 
doctors telling me I would never be able to have regular bone density. So by the time I was old, I would probably be handicapped, wouldn't be able to have kids, all of these really severe issues that my focus shifted into how can I heal myself. And I went on this journey of self-healing, which brought me to Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system and the sister science of yoga. So I became so passionate about Ayurveda, studied everything about it, became an Ayurvedic practitioner and wanted to write a book on it. And my parents were like, girl, you want to be an author? Like, are you fucking crazy? Like, you are never going to make money doing this. You are out of your mind. Like, that's not a real job. This is a hobby. Like, you're talking to the wrong people. And they were really concerned for me. Can you dive a little bit more into that story? Because I resonate so much of that experience. And I think there's a lot of people going through this right now where their 2020 has brought up this, this like, reorganization and this um, reflection for a lot of people where they're like, wait a second, I don't want to do this thing anymore because that thing is now gone or doesn't fulfill me or doesn't serve me or whatever. I want to do this thing, but they're so afraid of their family not approving or their friends not approving or whomever not approving. And I love this story in the book. Can you just share like what that was like for you to experience to Mm. not have your parents on board with you finding and discovering your dharma? Yeah. So it's one of the most challenging things because as kids, we're wired to have our parents' approval because we need it for survival. Yeah. So we, we need mom and dad to be to like us because they feed us. So it's actually this biological instinct. And then another biological instinct is for a parent to protect their kids at any odds possible. So even if the kid is like, I want to experience this roller coaster, the parent's going to be like, no, that's not safe. I don't care if you want to experience it. So here are two <laughs> biological you know, predispositions that are kind of contradicting someone wanting to experience all of life and the other person wanting to keep you safe. So for my parents, on top of being immigrants and refugees and their whole story, um, they didn't understand what I was looking for. They were like, what is this truth you are seeking? The truth is you get, you become an adult, you get a job, you get married. Like, this is the truth. Like, what are you looking for? And I was very confused at this time because I remember as a kid, it's all about like, follow your dreams. And I'm like, look, I'm following my dreams. And now you're telling me it's bullshit. Like, am I the only person still believing in Santa Claus and everyone else like got the memo that there's no dreams to follow? That was just like a childhood story. And it was, it was so tough because part of me could feel that I went through these health problems to share about them with more people. But I also had no proof if it would work, if, it would, if I would ever be able to provide for myself doing it. If maybe everything my parents said would come true, that I would become homeless, that I would become a starving artist, that I would waste the best years of my life and regret this forever. So it was this, these years of battle and it continued to get worse and worse with my, with my family. It eventually reached this uh, specific fight that I write about in the book where my dad was just so angry at me, feeling like I risked my life for you to be here. I sacrificed so much for me to be here. And this is how you repay me. You are selfish. And you know, getting, and I think a lot of times immigrant (laughs) parents, when they're angry, say things that are like completely not okay to say in America, but (laughs) but he would call me a loser, a failure, a scum, a disgrace, wishing I was never his daughter, wishing he never had me. And these are the very worst things for a child to hear from the very person that their whole lives, they're like, look, I got a, I got a gold star. I got this. I got that. Like, do you love me? And I remember just breaking down, crying, going down to my childhood room and like looking at all of the toys around my room. And I was like, this was all bullshit. Why did they even do this for me? And here I am being me and I'm rejected. They want nothing to do with me. And I was just crying and crying on my knees until I felt this numbness just override me. And I realized, you know what? If I'm dead to him in his eyes, then I have no one else to live for but me. And this feeling of kind of being unfuckwithable of like, you know what, I'm done trying to get your approval because guess what? Even if I do all the things you tell me to do and become the real estate agent or pharmacist or whatever else you want me to do, you're still going to find a reason why I'm wrong and not good enough for you. So something came over me at this point of I'm going to live this life for myself. And, you know, I came back, I shaman, I was doing my shamanic shaking and stuff. They were like, this bitch is crazy. I'm <laughs> just like in the suburbs shaking. And I came back. I was like, I'm going back to India. They're like, you're what? I'm like, I am going back to India. And I think they could feel like the difference of like, there was no more question. It was like, this is who I am. And I went back and I spent the next year there and 
really went through all of my beliefs and asked myself, are, are these mine or are these beliefs that I was handed and kind of rewriting my narrative and my stories and all of these things, which I know you share so much about as well. And I had to get to that point because oftentimes our Dharma, though we were born with a Dharma, we weren't necessarily born embodying it. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I needed to go through the journey of not living for anyone else's approval, for trusting my own voice and my own authority before someone else's. Because to do this work, you know how it is, Catherine, people will say shit to you all the time. Like that's that's a daily occurrence. And if that breaks you, you're not going to be able to move through it. So I had to learn to not even have the approval or support of my own family enough to have it in myself that the troll can say shit to me on Instagram. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I can so relate to that because first my journey involved me getting over my parents' feedback. And at some point I got to this breaking point where I just didn't give a fuck anymore. But I realized that I kind of transferred that onto my audience, but not necessarily my audience of people who are genuinely like they're supportive, awesome, positive people. Um, I also, I found myself really caring about what everybody thought of me, right? And so I noticed that at the beginning or actually end of last year, my Instagram just stopped growing. And I was at this plateau, which was very bizarre because it's been consistently growing ever since I started it. There should be no reason why I'm just not, I'm at this plateau. I'm at this plateau for several months. I think my content is amazing. Like what is happening? And I went to um, a plant medicine center and I did (laughs) four rounds of ayahuasca. And I will never forget night one where I always, I've always heard these stories where um, sometimes, you know, one of the greatest fears that people have around plant medicine is that the plant medicine will show them something that they're not ready to hear. Like for instance, quit your job or burn down your business or you, you know what I mean? Like, or break up with that person or divorce your husband. And like, you know, that's terrifying for a lot of people being like, oh my God, is that what I really want? Because it really shows you what's deep in your subconscious. Thankfully, because I have had a moment um, with my journey, like before I started Manifestation Babe, I went to a Tony Robbins event and that like was the epiphany of, of my whole life of realizing I'm living for my parents and living for everyone else but me. And so that's when I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend at the time. And it was the greatest freedom I ever felt. And I was like, oh my God, you know, like my husband and I are very different people. We have very different paths, same visions, but just different hows, different timings. You know how it goes? Like living with another person 24 seven is not the easiest thing in the world. And I was like, oh my God, what if she shows me I have to divorce him? Thankfully that never happened. But what she did show me was she started to show me, um, my Instagram accounts. Like all of a sudden my phone just pops up like this in front of my face and I see my Instagram account and I see her scrolling. And by her, I mean mother ayahuasca. She's scrolling through my Instagram and I'm like, are you about to tell me to delete my Instagram? Because hell to the no, I'm not going to do that right now. And she's like, no, 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 no. But we have to review some things. She's like, you wrote this post from a place of wanting people to like you. You wrote this post from a from a place of wanting people to like you. You wrote this post from a place of wanting people to like you. And I'm like, okay, okay. And she's like, why do you think you're stuck at this amount of followers? She's like, this is how many you can have if you let go of this fear and need of people approving of you and liking you. She showed me, I think it was like 682,000 or something like that. And she's like, and this is where you are now. And the reason why you're stuck is because you can't handle the negativity and the criticism at this level. It's going to be six times that amount if you go to this level. If you can't handle it now, what makes makes you think that you're going to be able to handle that. That shit is going to break you apart and you're not ready for that. And that's the reason why you're stuck here. And as soon as I had that lesson and realization, it's like, boom, growth, doubled my following in a year because I finally understood that what a hater says, what a troll says, or even people who genuinely do support me, if just because they don't agree with something like a belief of mine does not make me a bad person. It doesn't make me any less than like the point of all this is to stay true to myself. So I love that you mentioned that because it's, it's such a parallel between the parents thing. And sometimes we forget that we transfer that need and approval from our parents onto other people, our friends, our community, our audience, our podcast listeners. It just, it extends and unless we address this route right now, 
we're not going to find ourselves in a better place. We're just going to find ourselves in a different place, but it's not going to be where we truly want to be. So I love that you share that. I mean, I was completely like that too. I remember when my first book came out, like months before, I was so anxious because I was like, I'm going to read these Amazon reviews and everyone's going to hate me. They're going to say, she's not an Ayurvedic doctor. She's too young. She's modernizing it. She's this, she's that. And I was like, bracing myself for this book launch instead of being excited for it because I was so afraid of what these people would say. And I remember reading this quote not too long ago, there's never been a statue made of a critic. Mm -hmm. And to really think about that, like someone who goes around, like I've read a million books I didn't love. Did I go on Amazon and write a review on the 20 reasons? I'm like, girl, like imagine how far you could go in life if you just took that energy towards (laughs) something else. But oftentimes like the people who will feel like that are the people who you are their biggest inspirations. And because you are doing and embodying something that they know they have inside of them, it's extremely triggering to them, you know? And I think your dharma specifically is to trigger people. (laughs) Like you are like, I'm here first class, Air Dubai, like I'm doing the thing. And that's going to be so triggering for people right now. But that's actually interesting because it's part of your dharma and the biggest fear that you had was not being liked by people when it's like the polar opposite of like your North node of what you're here to do. And that's always how it is. Like our biggest fears are related to our Dharma. And I remember these. Yeah. It just hit me so hard, Sahara. You have no idea. I'm just like, okay. All right. I got it now. I think I get it now. Oh girl. Like I'm like, she's here to push people's buttons and I love it, you know, because we don't realize sometimes it's so much easier to see it in someone else and for ourselves. And, you know, frankly, if you're not pushing people's buttons in some sort of way, you're not really taking a stand. And one of the practices I share in the book is your Dharma is really the things that you're also the most ashamed about. Like we're like, I want to be loved and celebrated and seen and recognized and all of these things. But it's like, those things that feel off or random or don't fit in the picture, or you really don't want people to know about you. That's actually the magic of what makes it your dharma. Like for me, you know, spiritual teacher, Ayurveda, Deepak Chopra, and I fucking love to twerk. And I I love that about you. And I dance. But I was so ashamed of it. Like Catherine, I would go to these twerk classes and like, don't look at me. Like, don't like I didn't want to be in the video. And then I remember one day I like put the video on my story for like 10 seconds and like deleted it because I was so scared of like everyone unfollowing me and thinking I'm a sham and like never, never letting me in the community again. And I remember like I would get such great feedback like, oh, wow, like I love to dance too, or I love seeing you so happy. And it would kind of motivate me to share more and more and more of these sides of myself that I felt like didn't fit into the picture that later on, I actually asked a a question on my Instagram story, which I really recommend for anyone to do if you're confused about what makes you stand out. And it's, when have you seen me at my best? When have you seen me at my best? So I put that on my Instagram and all of them when you're dancing, when you're DJing, when you're twerking, when you're at this this class. And I was like, wait, what? Like 99% of the time I'm talking about the fucking doshas and you're remembering this? Like, huh, wow, like this is what this is what's registering in people's minds that of course they're receiving it all. And it's unique for them that it's in this lens. And it made me think, you know, if I go to a yoga class, I would be more interested to go to the yoga class of the person who was in jail for 10 years and find yo- found yoga there and plays Led Zeppelin in class. Even though that's not my story, I don't even like Led Zeppelin, but it's so unique that yeah. I'm like, I'm curious about that. And there is this study done by the People's Research Institute. And it's all about like, why we like people. So this question was, what's the number one reason why you dislike someone else? They pulled thousands of people. Um, You know, some of the things where I feel like they're superficial or I feel like they're showing off or this or that. Can you guess what's the number one reason why people don't like others? Um, The only things that come to me is what you already shared. Right. So the number one reason was actually them feeling fake, them feeling inauthentic. Mm. So the number one thing we don't like about other people is feeling like they're not being their true selves. But here we are trying to do everything we can to be that person. 
when yeah. we don't like that in other people. So it's like, you know, this word authenticity is such a buzzword. It's like, okay, tell me about your BDSM fetish. Tell me about your anime. Tell me about these things that you don't want people to know. That's what authenticity looks like in practice. Oh my God. I freaking love that. You know, speaking of everything that you just shared, um, I recently decided to bring out like more of my humorous side. Like, by the way, we'll talk about the archetypes, but it was so fascinating because probably if I took this quiz like a year ago, it'd be slightly different. But now that I'm embodying my like most authentic self, it showed up as visionary number one and entertainer number two, which I never ever saw myself as an entertainer until I decided to play around with some reels here and there. And the amount of people that I make laugh is like amazing. And it's interesting because so many people love it, but I've also received feedback being like, Catherine, I just wish you'd go to your old content. And you know, like the, that, but imagine being that person, like imagine if right. someone shifts, you're like, Hey, go back to how you were like, right. what is going on psychologically in that person's mind? Yeah. Just say that? It's almost like they're seeing a reflection of that part of themselves. That's afraid to evolve with you or afraid yeah. to evolve to their next level. And so they feel threatened by that. Like this person is now outgrowing me. I'm not keeping up with them. And, and so the I, narcissism of thinking that you should change and adapt to what they want. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about like specifics in your book that I really, really want to get into. Like for instance, you know, speaking of um, discovering your Dharma, you talk about like the five stages of Dharma discovery. Can you talk a little bit about that? And like, how do we know which stage we're in and what does that journey look like? Cause I feel like when I, when I read it, I was like, Oh my God, I've been through this stage and I feel like I'm going through it again. It's like, I'm now in the middle of another version of it, which is so fascinating. Mm, Yeah. So when I was really studying this concept of Dharma, I feel like a lot of us think it's like, we're going to go from where we're at to living our Dharma like overnight. And it's not really like that. It It goes through a progression. And even though I'm calling these stages, it's not linear. It's not hierarchical. It's more like a spiral. You can go to one and come back and then go back to one with a deeper depth and it continues to spiral. So it's not like you just got to get to that next stage. It just naturally unfolds. So That stage one is just the awareness that something needs to change. I can see the trajectory of my life. I can see where things are going and I don't like it. So it's just that spark that something needs to shift. You don't know what it is. Stage two is self-improvement. I'm just going to make myself the best version of me. So maybe you get into fitness or you get into meditation to like be less anxious. You get into Tony Robbins, self-help, motivational speakers, all forms of personal development. And this is really crucial. Like I think some people want to be in the 5D. They haven't mastered the 3D, right? (laughs) It's like, we got to work on the physical body, the mental body. Like these are our cornerstones. We have to learn how to human first before we get galactic. So for me, that looked like my Ayurveda journey, getting my health into, into balance, getting my anxiety into balance. So we got to start there foundationally. And this is where you know most of the personal development space is at, which is wonderful. And then we realized something that I'm not a mind and a body to improve, but rather I am a soul to know. Yes. So the focus rather than improving yourself goes to knowing yourself. Who am I? What are my interests? What are my archetypes? What's my human design and astrology? Like wanting to know everything there is about yourself. And it's like this fascination of, wow, I am a depth. I'm an ocean to explore. And nothing was wrong with me to begin with. So you realize that you already are whole. You just don't know the full scope of who it is that you are. So I'm assuming a lot of podcast listeners right now are in that stage three, but In stage three, you can often feel really alone because Mm -hmm. suddenly your interest shifts, like people around you are like, we used to do mimosas every Sunday. What's, what's happening? And you know, the things that you want to want to research, or maybe you're into Gaia, you don't watch Netflix anymore, (laughs) but like, it's like really starting to shift. So it could feel really lonely and it can feel really me against the world. So like the world is crazy. How am I going to live in it? Like, you know, and, and feeling like, how am I going to survive in this crazy ass world? Because the veils have suddenly sort of dropped. So this is when a lot of people feel like the spiritual awakening or ascension symptoms or however you want to call it. But it's really when there's a discord between your former and this new life that you're on. So for myself, it was like this feeling of like, anger towards society. I was like, we're just in a box. I would write these poems. I'm like, we live in a box. We're in our cars. We're in our cubicles. We're in the malls. When will we get out of the box? And it was just like, and I needed to go through that. And that was my expression of it. And it can feel like you don't know what you're going to do with that. 
So from that, you find the practices that work for you. Maybe it's law of attraction. Maybe it's Buddhism. Maybe it's Ayurveda. Maybe it's breathwork, sound baths, certain healers, practitioners, lineages. And you find what really works for you. Like here I can feel a part of this world and no longer against it. I know this world still has a lot of healing and a lot of ways to go, but it's a more integrated feeling with the world. Like I'm here, I'm part of this world. I'm here born as a human. So I must have some karma to do on this planet. And I'm going to practice self-care and learn about boundaries and go deeper into my ancestry and like go deeper into all of my practices to know myself on a deeper level. So I'm assuming a lot of listeners are also on the stage four. And stage four is when you begin sharing. You know, maybe you start telling your friends, your family members, maybe you start sharing a little bit on Instagram. But in the stage four, you don't really have your unique approach to things. You're kind of like learning things and sharing, hey, I learned this from Catherine. I learned this from that. You're kind of sharing what you learned, but you haven't really found your own spin on things. It's still coming more direct from that channel versus your own. And you can feel like you're living a, living a double life. I'm who I am at work and then who I am in my interests. So you may know that you have this dharma, but you haven't really found exactly what it is. So you may be dabbling, like maybe you get really into this thing and you're like, "Mm, that's not for me. Maybe you go into something else, but you're kind of waiting for whatever this thing is to hit so you can have that full body experience, but it hasn't quite happened yet. Now, stage five, which is that final stage is Dharma embodiment. And that is really when you are living in complete alignment with your Dharma. You are no longer kind of regurgitating information that you've heard, but it's rather coming and expressing through your own channel. And that could be through drawing or through architecture or through whatever else, but it's really coming from you. You have your own style to things. And in this stage, your focus really shifts from me to we. So the me needs to come beforehand. That's how do I have self-care, boundaries, be kinder to myself, take care of my body. We need these things as a stepping stone. But in the stage five, the Dharma embodiment, you realize that the bath and the massage or these, these things are actually really not about you. It's so you can be in alignment so you can serve in the mm-hmm. way that you were meant to. So it really becomes about you shifting humanity versus you doing this thing for your own self-interest. And Really to sit in this stage, you have to look at all aspects of your life because anything that's not in utmost alignment will prevent you from serving in the way that you are meant to. So friendships may dissolve, relationships, you may move. You may feel like it's just the series of like looking at things and like, is this working? Is this not? Because your primary responsibility is to your dharma and anything that can prevent you from really showing up for that, you know, needs to shift. So It feels like this really big up-leveling through every aspect of your life and that you're being fueled by something so much greater than you. So, you know, for myself of sharing this book and doing all these podcasts, like I'll do four podcasts a day. And at the end of the day, I want to hop on IG Live and keep talking about it. You know, like, have you ever felt like that? It was just like, I want to keep going. And this is fueling me more than a bath or more than breath work because I'm so just impassioned by what it is that I'm sharing. I'm tapped into the cosmos and that's fueling me so much more than anything that my human body could do. And that is everyone's birthright. It is possible for every single person. In fact, it is the only reason why you are here. Mm, I love that. Okay. How do the Dharma archetypes fit into all this? Can you go into some of the archetypes, all the archetypes, as much as you want to share? And um, how do people know, you know, what archetype they are and what, how does that impact what their Dharma is? Mm. So archetypal work has been so crucial in my life because when I was looking for my Dharma, I was just like, I don't know. I feel like I'm good at different things and I don't really know what I'm interested in. And I was like, I want to do a skincare company and I want to be a shaman and I want to do this and I want to do that. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to come together. Um, But then when I started to look into archetypes from, you know, goddesses and Ayurveda to Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, these are all types of archetypes. I started to see myself in something that was greater than me. And I'm like, oh, if that person's this archetype, I could see myself having similar gifts to them. So when I was writing this book, I really want to come up with an archetypal system in relation to your dharma. So I have these nine and they are teacher, nurturer, visionary, entrepreneur, artist, researcher, entertainer, activist, and warrior. So we are all nine of them, but in varying amounts. Like for yourself, I would say 
just from knowing you, I mean, you mentioned you took the quiz and there's a quiz, dharmaarchitectquiz.com, but definitely visionary, definitely teacher as well. I mean, you know, the the teach, I'll briefly share the dharmas of each, but the teacher's dharma is to share knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the way that they're actually set up to go through life is learn a lesson and the way they transmute it is to share it with others. Mm-hmm. So you're like, learned about fitness, helped me transmute it, teach others. Okay, done with that lesson. Learned yeah. about manifesting abundance, learned that, okay, I'm, I'm ready for now this entertainment aspect, et cetera. So they're going to go through life learning things to then teach. So they may be the kid who like when you're studying for an exam, like tries to teach it to other people and that helps them learn it better because that's naturally how they're set up. They're here to teach. Um, So the nurturer, their dharma is to care and connect. They're here to really go deep with people and they're here to draw other people's wisdom out of them. So the teacher is more likely to tell you, hey, here are the practices, here are the steps. The nurturer is like, what do you think is the answer? Like what's coming through? So more of a coach versus like, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that teacher or or guide. So nurturers are often, you know, coaches, therapists, nurses, social workers, but they could even be massive like Oprah. You know, Mm -hmm. Oprah is a nurturer that even when she's at the Staples Center with like a hundred thousand people around her, she sits on her chair next to another person and is like, honey, how are you feeling? Yeah. And that's her superpower. She draws it out of people. So they're really here to hold space. Now, the visionary is here to be a bridge for the new paradigm. So they are here to inspire, help people see the big picture, help people navigate to this new world, very future oriented. So they are here to essentially help people see the unseen and unite on this larger lens. So, you know, our primary archetypes are visionary and a lot of people in this space are going to be visionary because that draws you to spirituality and totally being a bridge and all of that. But it can even be like Barack Obama. Like he's a visionary. If you like him or not, he has this ability. He's very charismatic. His gift is his communication. He can make you feel like we're going to have this better future together. And that's the gift of the visionary. Now, the entrepreneur is here to essentially create profit and impact. So you definitely have this archetype as well of they're driven by profit. Like that matters to them because they know it's through that modality they'll make the most impact. So I saw your Pinterest vision board. I was like trying to download all these collage apps to figure out how to do mine. I'm like, this isn't looking like hers. But it was like, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is the focus on like, I want to make this money to invest it. And like, this is, this is how you want to serve. Whereas mine, it wouldn't be, it would be more like a New York Times bestselling book, right? Yeah. Um, because entrepreneur is not as high of one of mine. So the entrepreneur is really here to create solutions for the world's problems. And the way that they're going to do so is through something that is sustainable. That really matters to them. So they know that if a company has profit, it's going to have more team and support around it and it's going to be sustaining. So as an example, let's say we want to help the environment. The teacher would teach a class, okay, CO2 emissions are rising. Here's the information. Like, let's make a change. The nurturer would sit with you like, hey, what's your relationship with plastic? Like, how could you step more away from it? You know, coaching you through it. The visionary would be like, we are all Gaia. She is our mother. We are all connected to each other and our earth. And, you know, this like really like more philosophical big picture thing. And the entrepreneur would be like, okay, we're going to reduce plastic straw consumption by 200% by the year 2030. We're going to create this bamboo straw company that we're going to slowly integrate into the marketplace by 15% each year. So by 2030, we can see a margin of XYZ reduction in plastic straws. So like really like formulaic like that, more of a masculine energy because they know something as lofty as like, we're going to save the environment. They don't know how to measure that. So they're not going to see like the progression. So the entrepreneur is very systematic, organized, likes to structure things. And that's how they're meant to change the world. Like Sarah Blakely, entrepreneur, like you know, the people who are very inspired by her want to create this epic business and that's their catalyst. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a big global problem. Her problem that she's solving is women feeling uncomfortable in their dresses. And she's really going after creating the solution for that. So that's really what the entrepreneur is here to do. Then the artist is here to bring about beauty. So the artist is the type of person that everything you see, like their Instagram feed, their closet, their, their, their home, it's all so beautiful. Like they're very aesthetic. They really care about the experience, the details, 
And the artist really receives a lot of information from everything around them. So they're the type of people who, you know, they go through a shitty breakup and they'll like write this beautiful poem from it or like be like amongst like random things at a thrift store and like find the best things and like put it together and create this epic outfit. Like they see this life as like mediums in which they can create with. And then the shadow aspect of there is feeling really overwhelmed by the world around them and not knowing how to cope and also not having a good guard on your own emotions. That's why a lot of artists are, you know, manic depressive or, you know, thinking of Frida Kahlo or Picasso, et cetera. We can think of the artist who's like, and and sometimes they become addicted to that because they create their best art from that place as well. Mm -hmm. So they all have their shadows. Um, So the next one is the researcher. And the researcher is here to understand deeply. So they're here to make sense of the world around them, to go into the details. So they're the type of person you send them something on Instagram. You're like, hey, like apparently this is happening. And they're like, okay, let me do the research on that. Like they're not going to just like, you know, blindly reshare something. They want to do that research. So they really care about going into the facts, the analytics, the data, like people in sciences. There are, you know, two types of researchers, past and future. Past ones are really into history. Future ones are really into innovation, technology, et cetera. So Deepak Chopra is a really good example of a researcher. He's like researcher visionary. So the thing that excites him the most and knowing him personally is when there's more research to show that spirituality is real. Like he is so jazzed up about that. He's like, I got these scientists who didn't believe in meditation to like believe in meditation now. And like that's, that's his dharma. Like that's what he wants his legacy to be. That's what he lives for. And even his books are like, here's a breakdown so I can prove to you why you are the universe. Whereas someone who is like maybe a pure visionary would not care about that type of research to that level. And the shadow side of the researcher is sometimes feeling like you never have enough research to take action, Mm. which we all imagine. Yeah. It's like, it's those people, would you say it's those people who feel like they just need one more PhD, one more degree, one more book, one more course? Yeah. Exactly. And you know, because when you go really deep into any type of research, you realize that you're never going to get to the bottom of things. So when you have that level of awareness and in a way it's quite humble of being like, Hey, I know there's so much I still don't know that, you know, some of the other archetypes like the warrior, they don't even go down that. So they're like, I'm ready to take action. And the researchers like, I need more information, more information. So, um, Makoshi, your, your shaman, she shared with me that she took the quiz and she got researcher. No way. Yeah. So it can even show up more in a spiritual way of her doing the research into the depths of spirituality. But it's someone who really loves to be deep in their books, deep in their studies. Like they have a childlike curiosity. They just really want to understand why things are the way that they are. Yeah. I definitely have a little bit of that for sure. Because like I definitely used to get stuck in this, like, I just need one more course. I just need one more coach, just one more shaman, just one more plant medicine ceremony, just one more this, just one more that for me to then absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt so that I can share this information. At some point I realized, I'm like, wait a second, no matter how much research I do, there's my opinion, my knowledge, my uh, experience, my perspective is going to be completely different this time next year. It's always going to change no matter how prepared I feel, no matter how much research I do. And so I just had to get the fuck over that because it wasn't serving me. Totally. I mean, think of all of the incredible research that's out there that could really change the world that isn't being shared because that person feels like they're not ready. Oh my God. You know, it's like really doing a disservice to humanity. And I understand and really honor the depths that researchers go to. We don't want to rush, you know, a vaccine or we don't want to rush anything that may not be the best for humanity. So I understand why the researcher wants to go really deep into the details. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is the entertainer, which you were vibing with recently. And um, I love the entertainer. They're here to make people feel. So it's not just to make people laugh, but to also make them cry, feel nostalgic, ponder, feel surprised. They love to give people an emotional experience. And they see this life like their stage. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's the dullest moments that they come the most alive. So, you know, when you're leaving a concert and you're stuck in your car for like four hours, cause there's so much traffic to leave the parking lot. Yeah. Not in 2020, but I know, yeah, but back fast. in the day when we had concerts, um, 
but the re- the entertainer will take that opportunity to be like, let me tell some funny jokes. Let me do some skits. Let's do karaoke. And they're, they're actually come alive. They're like, wait, here's my audience of people paying attention. Like, let me entertain. Or like at a party, they'll like go into telling this like riveting story that gets a group of people around them. And they love that. They understand the world by morphing into different characters. So Jim Carrey is a really good example of this, that he literally morphs and transforms into all of these different characters. And that's how he raises consciousness. Sasha Baron Cohen is a great example of this, that he's like, he's Ali G, he's Borat, he's Bruno. Yeah. But really he's, he's making you think through the laughing and the entertaining. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, and I and I love these examples so much because oftentimes we think entertainer is like not important, devalued, like it doesn't really matter. Like entertainment industry, we kind of look down on it, but we've really always had entertainers in our world. Like we've always needed the jester or the Shakespearean play or the saga, et cetera, because a form of escapism is actually quite important in society. Like the world can be very, very dull and heavy without it. So that's why in India, Bollywood movies are so popular because it's like this whole fantasy world that they get to be in for three hours. And they really need that to, you know, make sometimes the tougher situations feel better. Yeah. But then the shadow side of being that entertainer are sometimes you lose yourself in those different characters that you don't know who you are outside of them. And you feel mm-hmm. like you have to make everyone else laugh because people won't accept you as you are. So Robin Williams is a good example of this, of making the world laugh, but didn't feel comfortable to share what he was really going through. Yeah. My goodness. It's interesting how you mentioned, you know, you just described the entertainer. And of course I read it in the book, but I love listening to you um, because it's like a different transmission of energy. And I just got to thinking, I'm like, I never saw myself as entertainer, like never in my life did I ever resonate with that. But it's because sometimes I look at myself through like a more public lens, like when I'm with new people or when I'm in public somewhere, I'm not the entertainer. But when I'm with my group of friends, like I am the one making everyone laugh. I'm the one who's telling ridiculous stories. I'm the one who's like getting the energy going, like, come on, you guys. And so I'm like, wow, that's so fascinating. Like I just, I've learned so much about myself ever since reading your book. It's amazing. And Dharma is really when the inner you and the outer you begin to match. Mm -hmm. So showing more of who you are when you're with your group of friends to the outside world, because so many of us think that if we don't show up in this really like serious and like respected way that will be disliked, but actually showing, you know, the same reason why your friends like you would be the same reason why a stranger likes you. But we just have this idea of like, we have to present ourselves so differently, even though it's the same humans who are, who are receiving it. So it's important for us to recognize it's still just a human on the other end. True. Oh my God. So true. Yeah. So the two last ones are the activist. The activist is here to bring about change, social, political, um, cultural, economical, et cetera. And they're really driven by this. So this is one of my, um, my main archetypes for sure. And that's why my whole childhood was about this, but they are really connected to this like, you know, physical world we're in and really look at the problems of like, Hey, there is hunger or racism or, um, child trafficking or all of these big issues. And they're like, we can't skip over this. Like we need to fix what's happening right outside of our door. So they feel this really big sense of passion and responsibility. As a human here on this planet, we have a responsibility to help others. Marianne Williamson is a great example of this, that she definitely has the visionary and teacher as well, but really she's an activist, that she's doing this all to bring about change. And the activist really feels the most alive when they are doing so, when they're helping others in this type of way. And it can lead to their shadow side of feeling like they're responsible for the world's problems. And this feeling of anger that... I'm doing so much and no one else cares. And I'm doing this for everyone. And you guys are just taking this for granted. So screw it. I'm not going to do this anymore. So that feeling of burnout among activists or the angry activists, as we think of it, um, is super common in that archetype. Mm. And this year was like the year of the activists that we all got to see what's my relationship with my own inner activist. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And then the last one is the warrior. So the warrior is here to protect and lead. So they really want to, you know, protect the disenfranchised. So thinking of someone who might join the police force or the military or even become a lawyer, politician. And the real reason why they're doing so is because they want to use their own strength and their ability to stand up in confrontation to protect those who cannot. So the politician AOC, Alexandria Octavia Cortez, is a really good example of this. Again, 
whether you agree with her or not, she has a warrior like energy to her that she's like, I am not afraid of who you are. I'm going to stand up for these people. And even though I'm the youngest Congresswoman, I'm going to be the loudest because this matters. And it's that, you know, warrior like energy. They're also very in their bodies. So they often go into fitness. So, you know, I'm sure you've seen in the fitness scene, they like to set a goal and working with a team and using their bodies and their strength to get there. So, yeah. you know, the, the thing that they're protecting could be like, we're going to help you lose 30 pounds by this fitness competition. And they need that feeling of like, we're in this together. Like things like CrossFit Orange Theory, where you're literally seeing other people's scores. Yes. A warrior is going to be so driven by that. And they really just want to take action. They're like ready to charge. Like that friend that you're like, oh, I got into a fight with someone. They're like, what's her name? <laughs> Let me at her. Like that, that energy, which, you know, it can feel really comforting. And like, maybe you were the one who fucked up. Like maybe your friend shouldn't be going after that person. So the warrior's shadow aspect is sometimes they can be so quick to take action that they don't have all the details and they can be really strong in their moral compass of this is right or wrong that they don't recognize that there are so many shades of gray. Mm, I recognize so many people in each description that you just provided. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, it's, that's that person I know. And that's that person I know. What I appreciate most about the archetypes that you described is that there's so much flexibility within each one. Um, because I find that like, for instance, in the realm that we're in, in the spiritual industry, I guess you would call it the spiritual realm. I find that like, at first it's very expansive, like, especially if you're moving from a religion to spirituality, you're like, wow, there's so many options and so many ways that I can do things. And there's different belief systems and I don't have to believe in just one God and I can believe in goddesses and whatever. But at some point it's like society creates a dogma out of it and puts it in the box. Right. And so then we feel very limited by like, oh, I can only express spirituality this way. I can only express spirituality that way. And that just like, it, it goes for anything. Like, you know, I can only express fitness in this way. I have to make fitness serious, not fun or fun, not serious or whatever it is. I appreciate so much how much flexibility there is within all of this. And it really goes to show you like you have the freedom to do just about anything in expressing your dharma, no matter what archetype you are, no matter what your dharma is, there is flexibility for you to explore and there's flexibility for you to really uh, discover who, who you are in this process. And it really goes to show you that we're all puzzle pieces of this one big puzzle called the universe and how each person has such an important role. And oftentimes we judge people, like again, you said the entertainers, like we tend to judge the entertainers as like not taking life seriously enough or we judge the activists for being too angry or we judge the, or the activists judge other people for not being angry enough. Or, you know, it's like, there's so much of that that I even saw in 2020. So it's so fascinating just to remind people that we're all meant to be different. We're all meant to be different expressions and we're all meant to embody different archetypes and the percentage of how much visionary you have and how much teacher you have and how much this you have is what makes you so special and so needed and matter in this universe. Um, one of my favorite like practices in the morning is to, you know, just thank the universe that I woke up in the morning because I truly believe that if we have if we're alive right now, it means that we still have a purpose. It means that we are here for one more day because there's still one more day of a purpose. If you wake up the next day, you still have a purpose and you're here to wake yourself up. You're here to wake someone else up. You're here to raise the vibration of the planet. Whatever your dharma is, it's just... Um, it's really cool to think about. And I really appreciate that perspective that you have. Yes. And in fact, it's the only way that the world can come into balance because imagine if 100%. we all were the teacher or the nurturer or the visionary or any of these, it's like going back to the ways of the village. We had the warriors and the basket weavers and the storytellers and the medicine woman, and we needed all of them. And we, why would we want the medicine woman to go out there and like hunt or the nurturers to like weave our baskets? Like that doesn't make sense. But here we are thinking that, oh, everyone should adhere to my archetype because I don't know life any other way. And I assume everyone must have the exact same lens as I do. But, you know, I used to play The Sims as, as a kid. I don't know if you've ever played that game. Same. Yes. Yeah. So I think of the universe as like designing us as these little Sims characters, right? And it's like, okay, you're going to be this much outgoing, this much organized, this much this, that. So you can play your unique role. And it's like, sometimes we think that everyone else must like the exact same things that we do. So we're like, that doesn't make sense. Who would want to like clean? It's like some people love to clean and organize. Yeah. Some people love a good tech backend. Some people love to look at numbers, like these things that you may feel like, oh, I 
no one should ever want to do that. So I must keep holding on to it. So the more you can step into your own archetypes and really let that be your main gift that you share and allow them to evolve. And then maybe the archetypes that you're the less, like for mine, it was like warrior was definitely my last one. I had to learn to make friends with my inner warrior because you can't just be like, no, I'm not doing the warrior thing. It's like sometimes a confrontation happens and you have to stand up for yourself. So making friends with those archetypes that you may not feel comfortable with, like the activists, some people were like, I've never spoken about any kind of issue in my life. I I can't do this. So make friends with that archetype, but doesn't mean you have to change your whole Dharma now to be this whole other thing. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. Um, I have a question for you. Are there any consequences? And this actually came up a couple of times in the Q and A box. Are there any consequences to never finding your Dharma? I mean, you're just going to have to do another round here on the universe and find it again. (laughs) It's up to you. You you don't have to find your Dharma. Like no one's forcing you. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) I hope I'm a spirit guide. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, according to the Vedic belief, it's that each lifetime as when we were souls before we incarnated, we chose our Dharma according to unfinished lessons from previous lifetimes, as well as gifts from those lifetimes. So for example, maybe you were like a lot of people resonate with ancient Egypt. I think all of us have had past lives there, but you know, maybe you were like a queen in ancient Egypt and you were a murderer, right? Like it it could be all. So you could be learning how to be compassionate and care for other people and have this like regal energy to you and be really into like dark horror movies. Like that could all really come together. So your Dharma was chosen by your soul and your the microcosm that you were born into is a direct looking glass of the problem that you're here to fix. Mm -hmm. So I was born into patriarchy and female suppression and that's what I'm here to shatter. You know, you were born into, into poverty and that's what you're here to shatter. So seeing that exact lesson that you were born into as I got, you know, the first row ticket into what this looks like from within, like you're able to speak to, I know what it's like to only have $900 in your bank. I know what it's like to have to stay at random relatives house houses because you don't have a comfortable place to sleep. I know what it's like to go through all of those experiences. And here's why I can really show you what's worked. Cause I'm a living example of that. If you hadn't gone through that, you wouldn't, I mean, this couldn't be your Dharma because you wouldn't have the embodiment for it. So I think sometimes when we see life as our unique soul curriculum to help us embody our dharma, then we realize that all of these lessons were really our training protocol. And if we can look at them that way, we're like, oh, that makes sense why I stepped into that. Now, you have free will at the end of the day. Like you were born knowing and you agreed to the temporary amnesia to forget so you can go through the process of remembering again. So you don't have to live your dharma, but you're going to have to, you know, do another round and have to try again and try again and try again. But I'm assuming if you're listening to this conversation this deep in, you're ready for it. Oh my God. I can talk to you for hours, but I'm just going to leave it at that because you guys just get her book, read the book. There's so much that we didn't cover. It goes so much deeper. So I'd love for each and every single one of you to um, buy it on pre-order because I know this episode is going to go out before it officially releases. Can you share the link where people can pre-order your book? Yeah. So they can get it at com slash dharma. You can find links internationally and you can submit your receipt and you'll get access to my virtual Q&A book launch where I'll be answering your questions, um, dharma meditation, tapping practices, and so much more. So that's com slash dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. And then the dharma archetype quiz to learn more about your archetype, which is dharmaarchetypequiz.com. <laughs> Amazing. And I know you have quizzes galore. I took every single quiz that you have, the dosha quiz. I'm very much a vata pita. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Um, so you guys have to find that out by reading her book, taking all the quizzes. Um, where else can we, you know, work with you, support you? Like, do you like to hang out on Instagram? What's your Instagram? Where else yes. on the interwebs can we find you? Yeah. So my Instagram is I am Sahar Rose. Let me know what your takeaways were from this episode. Share it on your stories and tag us so we can reshare as well. And um, I have a podcast as well, which we're going to have you on like in three minutes um, called (laughs) Highest Self Podcast, which goes into all the spiritual things. So yeah, connect with me. I'm so excited. It's like right now is the time. I really feel like 2021 is like 2020 was like learning the lessons. What was in your closet? What was brewing in your cauldron? Letting go of what's not serving you. And now it's like, okay, I got that magic sauce. I'm ready to share it. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. You literally stole my next sentence out of my mouth. I was going to say, 
tag us on Instagram, take a screenshot. You guys know what to do. I know there's plenty of takeaways, plenty of nuggets of wisdom that you guys can share. Tell us what you love most about this um, podcast episode. So again, it's at um, I am Sahara Rose and at Manifestation Babe. So let us know. And Sahara, thank you so, 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 so much for sharing your time, your energy, your beautiful wisdom with us. Like you're such an inspiration to me. You're such an embodiment of your highest self and you just radiate this beautiful energy that's so like intoxicating, intoxicatingly delicious. And I just can't get enough of it. And I know that everyone listening probably wants to, um, definitely wants to hear more from you. So you guys follow her, listen to her podcast, go on Instagram, take the quiz, buy the book. I'm also going to um, link everything in the show notes as well. So you guys guys can find everything there if you don't know how to spell things because sometimes I don't know how to spell things. And with that being said, thank you so much. I so Mm. appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Queen, and thank you for being. And I loved your episodes on your ayahuasca experience. <laughs> uh, can't wait to, to learn more about that. And thank you for really being an embodiment of what is possible for so many. Thank you. All right. For the rest of you, I will catch you in the next episode. Mwah. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you absolutely loved what you heard today, be sure to share it with me by leaving a review on iTunes so that I can keep the good stuff coming your way. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra inspiration on Instagram by following at ManifestationBabe or visiting my website at ManifestationBabe.com. I love and adore you so much and can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and manifest some magic.